I'm Jack Moylan, and you're listening to Let's Talk Business, a podcast geared towards young professionals served with a side of witty commentary. At Lutz, we rally around the mantra, make light, meaning be lighthearted, illuminate solutions, and create energy. We hope this episode will do just that. Let's make the complex simple. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of Let's Talk Business. Today's topic is all about filing taxes. Today with me is a tax shareholder here at Lutz, Dana Rouse. So, Dana, if you could, could you please you know, tell us a little bit about yourself what you do, your experience at Lutz. Just go ahead and give us a little bit of an insight to who you are. Sure. First, thanks for having me. Uh, Love to talk about this topic. I have been a CPA for about 19 years and I've been at Lutz for 18 years, which dates me a little bit. I'm clearly not a millennial myself, so don't hold that against me. Most of the time that I spend here at the firm is in tax compliance and consulting. I dabble a little bit in in the nonprofit area as well, Uh, but most of my time is spent um, with small business owners and individuals taxpayers. So that's kind of how I spend my time. And I also kind of lead our group internally from an IRS controversy perspective. So if you get an IRS notice, you find out you might be getting audited, all of those sorts of things. That's kind of my area of expertise as well. Kind of like to argue with the IRS as a side gig. What I like to do on the weekends, super timely, huge football fan, huge Oklahoma football fan. So what you're telling me is you don't like to file taxes on the weekends? No, absolutely not. Absolutely (laughs) not. Although it it does come down to that in February and March and April, sadly. we got to spend our weekends doing it. But that would not be my first choice of leisure activity, for sure. Right, just as needed. And so I guess one thing that sticks out to me, you know, we hear tax compliance. that, That referred to a lot. You're referring to strictly making sure that individuals are complying with tax law and that they're paying what they need to pay or filing when they need to, right? Is that what compliance exactly, really is? Exactly. Compliance would be referring to making sure we're filing our returns on time, getting things paid when we need to get them paid, making sure we're following the rules, basically. Got it. Well, I, I think first thing to discuss, I guess, I use TurboTax and H&R Block. I mean, all of those. So, at what point do you think it's a good idea to consult with a CPA or reach out to, you know, get a little bit further uh, advice and a better service instead of just using free online, you know, filing help? Great question. Um, I would tell you, you know, it, it really kind of comes down to a cost-benefit analysis. You know, if, if it's a situation where you are a W-2 employee, you know, you, you work for another employer, you don't have any kind of a side business or anything like that, you know, maybe you own your own house and you, you have some mortgage interest and, and property taxes and things like that. But if, if your situation is, is kind of that simple, in most cases, you're probably not going to get a lot of value by paying, you know, an outside preparer, whether that's a CPA or another preparer like an H&R Block in your example. In most cases, you're going to be just as well served by an online product like a TurboTax, just because they've made those kinds of products really intuitive. Mm-hmm. They ask most of the right questions. And if, if your situation is simple, you're probably better served by doing that. In terms of when you might want to reach out to a professional preparer or a CPA, I would tell people to be thinking about if you have some kind of a side business, mm-hmm. even if that's a, you know, a gig like driving for Uber or Lyft, or if you're doing some kind of a multi-level marketing business, something along those lines. If you've got some significant investment income, you've got brokerage accounts or things like that. Sometimes there are some more complicated things there that, that, uh, you know, a a TurboTax type product might not do as well. Even if you're not as familiar, you may not know how to answer the questions that a product like that asks. So at that point, you might really want to consider reaching out to somebody as well. So so is it uh, essentially kind of 
the more sources of income, essentially, the the better chances you should probably reach out to a CPA. That's exactly right. right. I and mean, it, as we start to vary our sources of income, right. it gets a little bit more complicated because there are kind of, sometimes there are different rules that apply to all of those. Sure. So knowing those distinctions, that's when it starts to get important. What won't you get from a TurboTax or an H&R Block as opposed to Obviously, you know, it's very intuitive and easy to follow, but are there things that you can run into where you won't be getting maybe quite as much of a refund as you should or you won't know exactly how much you need to pay? Absolutely. So those products are, are only as intuitive as, as how you answer those questions, right? right. So if, if we tell that the product that we're married and we have children, it should be asking us questions about things like child tax credit or dependent care credits or things like that. Um, but it's not going to necessarily know to ask you, hey, did you buy an electric car this year? Because you might be eligible for a tax credit for something like that. Or it, it might not necessarily ask you, hey, did you start renting out your property this year. It's not going to know your situation. Right. So it's going to do its best to kind of ask you questions to cover all bases, mm-hmm. but it's it, it doesn't know what it doesn't know. So you could be missing out on some opportunities or you could be under-reporting things just because that software is not necessarily going to know to ask those kinds of questions. So what it sounds like is I will probably not need a CPA's advice this year because I don't have an electric car <laughs> and still pretty minimal on the assets as well. You know what? So. You've got two weeks left, three weeks left to go get one. You say go out there, right? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we yeah. get to make this a little more exciting. So, um, okay, I guess it, was there anything, any other, you know, reasons why it would be a good idea to go to a CPA? I would tell you, even if you're starting to think about having your own business or or expanding your sources of income, I would tell you it makes a lot of sense to at least have some kind of interaction before doing that because there are so many important things to think about just from a setup and a structure perspective. Um, You don't want to get too far down the road in a new endeavor like that and do some things that are going to be harder to undo that are maybe tax disadvantageous down the road. So if you're thinking about things like that or you're thinking about starting to invest or thinking about investing in rental property or any of those kinds of things might be worth a conversation. And I would tell you most most of us and you know most anybody in this role would be happy to entertain, you know, an initial conversation like that right. just to kind of get people pointed in the right direction. Sure. Um, when talking about taxes, there, there's a lot of paperwork involved. Oh absolutely. A lot of different documentation, all kinds of things. So what exactly does someone need to have ready? Uh, when do they need to have it ready by? How can they get themselves in a position where they don't feel like they're scrambling, you know, a couple months into tax season by the time deadline comes around and they're nervous they're going to be, you know, in trouble with the IRS? Absolutely. Um, you know, most of the, the documents that we get are coming from an outside third party kind of a source, whether that's an employer, that's a brokerage house, that's the bank that holds our mortgage, whatever, charitable organizations, whatever. Mm-hmm. I would say from a charitable perspective, Lots of times that's that's the one anomaly because lots of times we've got charities that are giving us those receipts throughout the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we're going to be itemizing, which I think we might talk about a little bit more in just a minute, um, if we're going to be itemizing, I would say it's important to kind of accumulate those all throughout the year, keep the ball in the same place and organize them. Um, if there are lots of them, it's it's helpful to summarize those in a, an Excel spreadsheet or just a list or something just to kind of accumulate those all in one place. But the rest of those source documents in most cases those outside third parties that are sending them to us have a requirement to have them to us by January 31st. 
So for example, your W-2 from your employer, they're supposed to provide that to you by January 31st. Your 1099 from the bank for your interest, you know, those kinds of things should all be provided to you by the end of January. So you should be looking for those to come in the mail um, in January and accumulating those all in the same place. Um, If we have, you know, again, kind of some of those more outside sources of income, business type things, you know, if we're getting, you know, K-1s from outside pass-through kind of investments or, or business activities, accumulating all of those um, and providing those to the preparer is really important as well. A really good practice to kind of get into is kind of looking at last year's return and kind of going down your list of the stuff that you had the year before, because that might jog your memory of something that you might have forgotten about to make sure you have that. I know one of our processes here internally is we're always comparing last year to this year and asking our clients, you know, hey, last year you had interest from First National Bank and this year you didn't give us a 1099. Can you, you know, is that account closed or do you still have it? And that asking those kinds of questions prevents us from getting a notice from the IRS later mm-hmm. saying, hey, we, we thought you had this source of income where, why didn't you report it? One of those situations where maybe TurboTax doesn't refer, you know, reference your past return right. and say, hey, is this still, okay. So there's another situation, kind of a check that adds a little bit more of a valuable piece. I Absolutely. Guess. And and if you switch those products from year to year too, right. they don't necessarily remember that history. Or if you use a different version from last year to this year, sometimes you lose some of that continuity. So I need to quit uh, deleting the emails <laughs> that say important tax documents. Yes, <laughs> those I would are save those. Important. Those okay. are worthwhile. Those okay. are good to have. Yeah, those ones you see and you're like, <laughs> you know, I don't know if I want to deal with that right now. So um, Put it in a folder. Are there any documents, I guess, that, you know, take a little bit more effort on the uh, taxpayer's side to obtain? I mean, you, you mentioned the ones from the bank and those that are required by the end of January. Are there others that they have to go out and find and actually obtain themselves? I would tell you a lot of the reporters are doing more of an online accessing those documents yourself in an effort to save printing costs and everything else. One area we see that a lot is brokerages. So if you have an E-Trade account, you have an Ameritrade account, whatever, lots of times they now, and again, kind of depending on your account setup, they'll send you an email that says, hey, your 1099 is ready. Go out and get it download it, we're not going to mail you a printed copy of that. Or Robin Hood and Acorns, I think as maybe a lot of our listeners are probably using. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And then the other one, again, is if you have some, again, some kind of a side business, um, you know, that's going to be your responsibility to be keeping track of all of those revenues or sales, all of those expenses associated with that. Um, kind of to backtrack just a little bit on about when it's important to get a CPA involved yeah. or get a preparer involved from, a, a, again, an a, a individual business or a side business perspective. In many cases, you may not be aware of what all kinds of expenses even are deductible. So um, I think that's something that I see a lot is, especially with a startup kind of business, when we have that initial discussion, you know, as we're kind of going through all of the types of expenses we'd want them to be tracking, it's happened lots of times where, you know, a client or a prospect will say, gosh, I didn't even know that was an expense that I could deduct against those, those kinds of, that kind of revenue. Um, So sometimes that outside professional can give you that kind of information and again, you know, help minimize that tax bill just because you may not be familiar with what kinds of expenses you should be expecting to incur for that sort of business that would be deductible and beneficial for you from a tax perspective. Yeah. And I guess the little little understanding I have of what exactly is, you know, you can itemize and and deduct as a business owner perspective, it's stuff as simple as office supplies. Absolutely. I mean, Absolutely. Paper or pens, you know, anything that you're using really to 
uh, essentially earn revenue, helping you in the process of earning revenue. Exactly. You can deduct. Right. Exactly. Uh, you know, the, the IRS's terminology is ordinary and necessary. Mm. So what kind of expenses would I ordinarily incur and that are necessary for me to kind of to try to generate that kind of revenue? So your example of office supplies is a really good one. You probably are going to have to pay some kind of business insurance. Sure. You're going to have to have a phone. You're going to have to have internet access. I mean, all of those kinds of things enter into that. And lots of times people don't even think about it. Got so it. capturing all those expenses is really important. Right. Ordinary and necessary. Those are the key words for today. Yes. Um, yes. I guess let's talk about deadlines a little bit. What happens if you know you don't meet that April 15th deadline or get it in by then? Yep. Okay. So you, you can file for an extension. That extension automatically extends your return until October 15th. You can request those electronically or you can mail in a paper extension form. Um, the form is a 4868 for individuals. You can get it on the IRS's website. Their website actually is a really good source of information and it is fairly easy to navigate so if there are ever questions that people have i would tell you to check out irs.gov sounds like fun like uh, weekend reading. oh there's youtube videos <laughs> and everything they're right. trying really really hard um to make it a little a little more uh, entertaining than right. it is the important thing for people to know is just because you have an extension to file a return that doesn't give you an extension of time to pay your tax so if we did have a balance that we actually owed with their return, the clock starts in terms of assessing any interest or penalties to that balance due on April 15th. So if we think we're going to owe some tax, but we don't necessarily have all of our information, mm-hmm. we would certainly advise people to make an extension payment. When, and you can send in a payment with that that extension form. Okay. Um, and that's true for, for federal purposes or for state purposes. We would definitely encourage people to do that because again, if, if we pay after April 15th, even if we've got permission to file the return later, the IRS is gonna charge us some interest and penalties on those right. amounts that we owe. And is that a you know percentage of what's owed it or is. at the time just pay what you have on the yep. balance it's a, or? It's a percentage of, of what you ultimately owe. Okay. So just as an example, let's say we owed $1,000 with our return Mm -hmm. and we made a $500 extension payment because we didn't have all the information and we found out later we had a little bit more income than we were expecting. What would happen is when we filed that return, you know, whenever, let's say it's October 15th, we would have to calculate a late filing or a late uh, payment penalty on that extra $500 that we hadn't paid as of April 15th. And again, that's a a 0.5% penalty, I think, on that unpaid balance by okay. per month until we actually pay it. Got it. So again, if we, and, and there's interest on top of that. So it really behooves us to try and figure out what we think we're gonna owe and try to pay that in April if we can. Mm-hmm. So you, I mean, essentially you will have a pretty solid idea of what you'll owe or what you'll receive back by April 15th. Yes. And then it's, you know, yes. make your payment. Okay. Exactly. So, the so flip side is if, if we don't make that payment by April 15th and we still owe, we're gonna owe some penalties and interest. Um, if we are overpaid and we file by April 15th, they're not going to pay us any interest on that sure. overage. So if, if our expectation is that we're getting our money back, we really should do our best to try and file on time. And then we could put that money in the bank and be earning a little bit of interest on it. Okay. Uh, so I guess on the flip side of that, then, are there any real benefits to filing early? Generally, I would say other than anticipating getting your refund more quickly, mm-hmm. that's the big one. Now that almost all returns are electronically filed, the, the turnaround time in terms of them processing refunds is really fast. Um, you know, generally we see those refunds in, in two to three weeks in most cases. The closer you get to the deadline, the longer that turnaround time is just because so many more people are trying to get things 
you know, submitted at that point in time. One thing I would, would caution people is there are, are certain credits in the last few years that if your return has these kinds of things on them, sometimes they'll hold up the processing of the returns mm-hmm. because the IRS is waiting for more outside third-party information. So where we've really seen that is like earned income credit. The last several years, they've delayed processing of earned income credit returns because they're waiting for confirmation of other information from other parties. So here's an example. I get my W-2 and my W-2 wages are part of how I I compute this credit. Well, the employers aren't required to submit those W-2s to the IRS until January and in some cases end of February. Well, the IRS doesn't have that data yet to match up to what I reported on my return to see if I'm eligible for that credit. And so in those cases, they won't issue the refunds on those returns till they get those W-2s reported to them. So if if the goal is, gosh, my employer handed me my W-2 on January 10th and I'm going to file on January 11th because I want that refund and I'm claiming an earned income credit, for example, I'm probably not going to get it right away because they have to match up that W-2 before they figure out I'm eligible. And it's usually cases where there's been some abuse Mm -hmm. um, in the past where people have claimed fraudulent refunds. It's usually one of those kinds of programs that they've just put some more fail-safes in place to try and prevent paying out a lot of refunds that people aren't really entitled to. Sure. Interesting. Well, I think, so we've talked about, you know, the process, when it's a good idea to have a CPA get involved with your taxes, the deadlines involved, um, you know, when to use free tax services. This probably would be a good time in the future to have maybe a sponsorship step in. I don't know, maybe our first one would be LaCroix or something (laughs) like that. We drink enough of it around the office. So insert corny LaCroix. There's a can of it uh, sitting right here, yeah, right, right now. Right next to us. <laughs> um, but future reference, we can come back to that. I guess what we can maybe talk about now is what people can expect from their tax return. I guess specifics of filing, itemizing, sure. that kind of stuff. Sure. So is it a good thing to get a refund? Obviously, it's nice to, but you know, from your perspective, right. what, what's that look like? And, and should I be able to expect one? Sure, that's that's a great question. A couple of things I would always tell people to, to think about in those terms. From my perspective, our goal should be to try and be as close to break even as possible. And and the real reason for that is is kind of twofold. One, if we're way overpaid, the IRS isn't going to pay us any interest on that. So if, if we were able to do something else throughout the year and not, and in, in most cases, people are overpaid because they've, they're having too much withheld from their paycheck. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, 90% of the time, that's why somebody's getting a refund because mm-hmm. their withholdings are just too much for their situation. So in that case, had had we done something different with our withholdings, I could have had that money throughout the year to you know be putting in the bank and saving right. or spending on other things that were important, whatever. Investing, investing or it or and those having assets some and, exactly having right. some kind of a return on those sure. dollars. Whereas if I get this huge refund, great, it feels like Christmas, but I right. it's, the government was using my money and not paying me right. any interest this whole time. So again, you're saying maybe. Just pay what you're supposed to pay throughout the year and be very disciplined with your money. That would be the goal. <laughs> okay. That would be the goal. Right. One thing that's complicated that a little bit in the last couple of years is with all of the tax law reform that was right. signed at the end of 17, effective for 18, they changed a lot of those withholding tables and didn't really do a great job informing employers and having employers inform their employees about all those changes that occurred. Mm-hmm. So some people maybe didn't make, I think we actually had a lot more people get surprised this year that their refunds were lower than they were used to or they actually owed and they had never owed before which is funny because you hear you know 
on the news and politics that, you know, tax refund and tax reform and all this is going to happen. And I guess, you know, at the end of the day, that's why it is our job to understand tax law and figure that out. But then people think, you know, oh, why am I not getting a larger refund? You know, what is the government doing? It's Exactly. It was a huge surprise to a lot of people. And I think a lot of people probably would find that if you looked at the actual tax amount on your tax return, it probably was lower, Mm -hmm. but you were probably having less withheld as well because they changed those withholding tables. And so when it came to time to compare, here's what you paid in versus what you owed, you hadn't paid in more than you owed as much as you had the year before because of those tables. Now, starting in in January of 2020, they've totally overhauled those form W-4s you normally would file when you are fill out when you first start working for your employer. Mm -hmm. They've totally overhauled those to make that a lot more closely aligned with the new tax brackets. Most employers, and we're certainly advising our employer clients to have all of their employees complete a new W-4, even if they've been employees for a really long time, just because of those changes. And that should resolve a lot of that issue with people being under withheld because of how they've overhauled that form and how it, how it ties in better to what the new brackets are. So essentially, you know, this coming year 2020 into tax season of 2021, uh, maybe you'll see balances a lot closer to zero. Exactly. That, that would be the goal. Okay. Yep. Uh, and I guess without getting into politics too much, do we ever see, you know, obviously tax laws at large is, you know, huge. It's always talked about. It's always discussed. Is that ever used as a tool to falsely stimulate uh, the economy? So then people think, wow, they really, really are just giving me more money back in my pocket and, you know, tax season. How much time do you have, Jack? We can talk about <laughs> yeah. that all afternoon. We can maybe take um, this off air. <laughs> and I, I think you you see different response, and this is totally my opinion, mm-hmm. you know, not the opinion of Lutz, right. PC, but, but my opinion is that I think, well, and that it's different for individual taxpayers versus business taxpayers. Right. But at, at the end of the day, in most cases, tax policy is used to incent or disincent behavior, right? right? So we want people to, if, if we're reducing the tax rates and we're reducing, you know, how people compute their taxable income. The goal would be more hands in the pockets of those consumers who could go out and spend or they can go out and create jobs or whatever mm-hmm. and stimulate the economy and grow the economy, you know, from from the bottom up. Is that what we see happen? Not necessarily. And I think it's probably a little too early to tell if this last round of reform is incenting the kind of behavior we would expect. But a lot of that too is people's perceptions of the market. You know, are, are people fearful about spending? And so they're holding on to those dollars because they don't know what the economy is going to do. And then that's not stimulating that spending that that grows the economy that we would have hoped people would do um, if they had more money in their pockets. And I think we see that on the business side too. We are trying to incent you to go out and spend a lot of money on you know property plant and equipment or we really want you to go out and hire employees but um you know again kind of depending on if you're you know bullish or bearish on on what the economy is going to do you may or may not do that right so again you're saying this is a much more complex discussion not <laughs> not just simple that yes uncle exactly. donnie's trying to take my money or give yes, me more exactly. of it <laughs> there's a lot yes, more at play that's absolutely true. <laughs> and maybe not Uncle Donnie to some. I don't know. Him and I are just a little bit closer. <laughs> you guys are super tight. Yeah. I should have guessed. I should have guessed. Um, 
So I guess here's a topic that some people might not know as much about itemizing. Well, we talked a little bit about it, but I mean, if you could go into a little bit more detail. Of course. So one of the big things that was part of this tax reform that we were just talking about was an expansion of the standard deduction. So everybody has the option to do one of two things. Either take the standard deduction, which is basically just based on your filing status. Are you filing single? Are you married filing joint, et cetera? Mm -hmm. Um, And just simply based on that filing status, you kind of get a, I'm kind of using air quotes here, a free standard deduction. That's Mm -hmm. just a flat dollar amount based on that filing status. And you don't have to spend any money in any way, shape, or form to be entitled to that standard deduction. So that's option one. And then option two is itemizing your deductions. And there's certain categories of, of types of expenses that Congress has determined should be deductible for individual taxpayers that go into that itemized deduction bucket. And the main ones that we think about are medical expenses, and those have to be you know, pretty significant. They have to be over a certain percentage of your, your AGI or your, your gross income, your adjusted gross income. Mortgage interest, um, state and local taxes, which is inclusive of your real estate taxes, your car taxes, your state income tax you might pay on your you know, W-2 state withholding um, or any other state income tax you pay, um, and your charitable contributions primarily are the, the four big categories that we think about. And if we add up, you know, all of those kinds of expenses that we have, and they're greater than that standard deduction amount we're allowed, then we would be allowed to deduct that larger amount. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're, what's happening. We're so deciding, am I going to itemize or not? Is it, and if I'm, if I have these, you know, uh, directions off. Let me know if, if you have higher medical expenses. So you, you know, had a lot of situations over the past year where you're yep. spending a lot in medical expenses. Yep. You have a lot of mortgage interest, and if you're giving away a lot of money, yep. you should probably itemize. Exactly. Or take a look at it. Exactly. Um, so yeah, I guess what's the difference between a deduction and exemption and a credit? That's Can a great question. That's it? really confusing too. So when we talk about deductions, we're talking about, you know, again, either those itemized deductions or that standard deduction. And those are going and in the context of individuals, mm-hmm. you know, taxpayers too. Right. Um, but those are gonna be the items that are going to reduce our taxable income. So we're gonna get all of our sources of taxable income together and then subtract out those deductions. Again, either the standard or the itemized to get to truly what's our income that's going to be taxed. Mm-hmm. net taxable income that's what we're going to apply the tax rates to to figure out what we're actually going to pay so that that right there is how you determine your bracket exactly when you hear exactly tax bracket What's, that's exactly so you're deducting right. from that to try and determine exactly where you're at based bingo. on all of your, okay bingo exactly that's that's getting us to that taxable income target right. um and then in terms of exemptions that's a, a little bit of a um an obsolete term, if you will, um, these days, because again, of the tax reform, we used to be allotted kind of a, a standard amount for each exe- or each individual that was claimed as a dependent on the return. Mm-hmm. So ourselves, our spouse, if we had dependent children or, you know, dependent elderly parents or, you know, anyone else that qualified, um, we got a standard amount that we could all further reduce that taxable income by those exemption amounts as a trade-off for lower tax brackets and some of the other you know, pieces and parts of that uh, tax reform, the exemptions have been eliminated. So there's no longer a deduction that's allowed, or an exemption, sorry, right. uh, that's allowed to reduce that taxable income, again, for yourself, your spouse, your, your dependents. And again, that was kind of a trade-off in right. exchange for the lower rates we're giving up the, the exemptions. So we really don't have that in, in kind of the, the conventional 
way we think about exemptions anymore. Um, and then credits are actually amounts that are, are almost like payments. So once we figured out, here's what taxable income is, we look at our bracket, we figure out what our taxable or our tax is, mm -hmm. and then any credits that we're eligible for actually reduce that tax dollar for dollar to, to determine what do we actually have to make in terms of payments. Okay. So some examples we talked about earlier, we talked about, you know, if I have an electric vehicle, I might be entitled to a credit. Um, if I have children, I might be eligible for a child tax credit. If I pay, if I work and I pay for daycare, I might be eligible for dependent care credits. There's an endless list. Uh, sure. of potential tax credits. But those are treated basically like payments. Now, are those all things that you have to indicate having? So, I mean, that's you either have to have knowledge of, of what things count as credits or not. Exactly. Uh, if not, you need to consult with someone like a CPA that would help you understand exactly absolutely. those credits. That's absolutely true. And the, the commercially available products that we've talked about, most of them are going to ask the, those general questions. Right. So th when, when you're completing, you know, here are the members of my family, you know, that, that I could, you know, call dependents in mm -hmm. my home. It, it will know that and it should be able to determine, am I eligible for child tax credit? Or, hey, I see you've got kids on your return. Did you pay childcare expenses for them? And here's the relevant information we need to see if you're eligible for a credit. It, most products are gonna be smart enough to know that. But like I said, there's, there's a virtually endless amount of potential credits. So without knowing your specific situation or being aware that those credits exist, um, you could potentially miss out on that sort of thing. So that's where the personal relationship that you end up forming with your exactly. accountant is going to come into play exactly. because then they'll be able to know, hey, you know, you've got this situation where exactly you right. your credit coming your way. So. Yep, exactly right. Are there, are there any things, any specific things as a young professional someone should do, you know, in preparation for the tax season since we're getting there? Sure. Uh, any specific tips or advice? Absolutely. The couple things that I would say we'd want to think about, we're you know kind of running out of time here in mm -hmm. terms of, of the end of the year. Check your withholdings. Look at your year-to-date pay stub. You could pretty well eyeball, okay, based on that and based on, again, you know, my standard deduction or my expectation of my itemized deductions, I can roughly approximate what my taxable income is going to be. I can see what bracket that means for me, and I can compare that to my year-to-date withholdings mm. just so I can manage expectations. Sure. And gosh, if I've, if I've got a shortfall, if I've got any ability to you know, update or change that or have some extra withholdings in my last couple paychecks before the end of the year, that at least spreads that out a little bit. So that's one thing to look at. Um, if you have the ability to and you haven't already maximized your retirement contributions, so if you have the ability to you know, contribute to a 401k or something like that through your employer and you haven't maximized that yet and, and you can afford to, you should. That's a, an easy way to, to save some of that tax if you're participating in a, in a pre-tax plan like that. A couple of things you can do even after the fact, even after you've, you've filed your return, are if you are eligible to contribute to an IRA, a deductible IRA, you have until actually April 15th to do that. Um, you want to make sure you're eligible. There are lots of rules around that. But if you are, that's another deduction that you don't have to necessarily do by December 31st to get the benefit of. Or if you are participating in a high deductible health insurance plan, a qualifying high deductible plan, you can potentially contribute to a health savings account. Um, and that's another one of those deductions you have until April 15th to actually fund it and still be eligible for that deduction in December. Awesome. So that's one thing to consider. Um, if you've got uh, investment income, a brokerage account, things like that, and if it if it otherwise makes sense in your investment strategy and you've got some stocks in there or funds in there that have losses, it might make sense to harvest some of those losses. Um, 
to the extent we can take those and you can offset other income with them. Um, if you've got your own business, uh, again, to the extent you can accelerate expenses or you can defer income, you know, all of those things to, to push that down the road, just from a time value of money perspective, it makes sense to do that in a lot of cases. Great. So think about that as we're coming into the end of the year. Perfect. Well, I appreciate it. I think that was probably the easiest, you know, 50, 55 minutes I've ever sat and discussed taxes before. And I hope, I can only hope it sounded the same on the other end. Sure. But um, otherwise, thank you so much for sitting down and talking with us and uh, hope you enjoy the rest of the coming months and tax season. And we'll see you on the other side. Great. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah, you bet. You've reached the end of another episode of Let's Talk Business. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast on your podcast app, Spotify, or iTunes. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to make light.